Hello everyone, home is where the heart is. The heartful interaction between parents and their children sets the foundation for the people our children will turn out to be. Home is a show where we will be exploring on how parents can navigate the realities of raising our future leaders. My name is Eva Christodoulou and I'm with the research and development team here in Leaderonomics. Welcome back, Dati Nancy. Great to have you on the show once again. Dati Nancy, how prevalent is competition in today's workspace and how critical is it in leadership? Thank you, Eva. Thank you for having me back. Well, to both your questions, um, let me try and explain it in two parts. Uh, firstly, I think competition is still very prevalent and I think it's more intense and fluid and there's a new kind of leadership uh, on the world stage that's evolving to deal with it. Uh, so here is where I think competition looks like. And if this podcast is really for the younger set, um, I think they would understand some of the language that I'm trying to use as well. I think where Malaysia and the world is at this moment is we're at the st- third stage of the internet era. The first wave of the internet was when we witnessed the might and power of IBM's the Cisco's, the Sun Microsystems in the 90s. I think the second wave was when we saw the rise of Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Alphabet. And if you look at where we are now into the 21st century, and we're going to touch 2020 soon, we are really moving into an age of inequality. When you see that, you know, uh, nine of the biggest technology firms in the world uh, are dominating artificial intelligence Every day, jobs have been disrupted. Uh, Industries have been disrupted. Uh, There's more focus uh, in the schools now on STEM subjects. Uh, And the third wave of this new internet era is impacting all of us. And the more important sectors that require safety and discipline like healthcare, Airbnb, transportation, aviation, it's been disrupted. So if there is so much disruption happening around us, What does it mean for leadership and what does it demand? So if we can now pause for a moment and ask ourselves, who are all these new leaders? Uh, We are seeing more young tech leaders between the age of 30 to 45. The new kind of leadership which we need today can be profiled as follows. Uh, You need leaders who are brave, quietly brave, Uh, They can be both introverts and extroverts. I know there have been a lot of books now written about introverts, books about soft power. I mean, to illustrate the point, uh, Tencent, which is a company listed uh, um, on one of the stock exchange, uh, its um, owner and one of its key members is a guy called Pony Ma. He, I was told, is a pretty cool and shy person and you don't see much of him but he has a whole cadre of people that's running the company and they are responsible for more than 55% of the transactions in China. So leaders don't need to be assertive and visible all the time. And I think in the new world where disruption is happening, leaders also need to be more honest, more candid. They have to operate fast, they're more agile and they must know how to manage tough conversations So as business gets disrupted, there should be less room for blame. But people should be talking about how the future looks like. And that's hard. 
It's also about leaders who want to change, can change, and know how to use the vision and system to bring about this change. And it could be a headmaster in a school, you know, how would he go about producing more scientists for the world? I think leaders today who cannot manage change is no longer an option. Not only are we seeing a younger set of CEOs who are bringing on uh, new profiles in terms of leadership, we are also seeing more women uh, in this kind of businesses. Jobs also are more global in nature. The hierarchies are flatter, and this today demands people to be more flexible. So how is our school system producing children that are more flexible? So disruption has brought about more precision, more data, faster response, speed, turnaround time. Uh, how do we uh, coach and guide our children to manage uh, uh, this environment so that they don't get stressed out? Right. So um, let me just share a little bit about a survey that we ran here in Literonomics last year. Um, we 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 question a bunch of parents about uh, a variety of different fields that we are interested in. Uh, and when we asked them about competition, about 3% of the parents had a very negative perception of what it means for their children, um, seeing competition as unnecessary and maybe even unhealthy. Um, 3% saw it as something that is necessary and something that is unavoidable. And about 59% saw it as good, great, or some variation of positive. 6% of respondents said that it was situational, while the 1% mentioned that competition was only good for those that win. <laughs> uh, so most respondents mentioned that it is not really critical and uh, it's more important for children to understand why is the competition there, its purpose, and have proper guidance on how to deal with the failure part of it um, and the pressure that comes with competition. W what do you think about that? I think there has been a lot of uh, criticism on our education system of late. But if you were to look at what's happening in Singapore, where we have lost a lot of talent, uh, who, and that's our closest neighbour, look at how well and successful the Malaysians have become there. So I will leave it to our listeners to decide for themselves whether our education system uh, is where it is today and not that good. So what is wrong with our education system and to what could be done is really, I think, is how we improve the environment on competition. So back in the 60s and 70s, and education meant uh, mastering your core subjects, your core cur uh, curriculums, activities, and sports. We were measured in all and we tried to excel in all. Uh, and I will use sports as an example. Uh, sports was compulsory and we had physical education close to 12 hours per week or three hours per week, uh, sorry, 12 hours per month, three hours per week. For those of us who train hard and were selected as sportswomen, we had to train another two hours a day. That means we had more than 20 hours of field training per month. So if I was to relate as to how participating in sports was useful to my personal development, I would explain it like this. On an average day, if you did nothing, it means you only attended to your schoolwork and homework. A chance to take part in sports meant that you belonged to a group who were physically fit and that you also had to excel in schoolwork. Those days, the system was designed to make us compete with ourselves and we were taught to strengthen ourselves. 
So taking part in sports also allowed us to travel at a very young age with our coach to state-level sports and compete with others. For me back then, competing in school was easy. It was easy to be number one in school. But once you, when you went on to the district level, it was not only tough to get to top three, but tougher to get onto a state level and national level. I think the key learning point here was there are always others who are better than you. And if you know that about competition, you would always prepare yourself better so that you would not be a poor loser on the field. Thank you. Um, competition is an extrinsic incentive. Uh, it's, it's a motivation to perform in a specific way based on what you will be getting in the end as a reward. Um, so psychologists argue that a fundamental characteristic of uh, all extrinsic incentives is that they only work as long as the promise of an incentive is valid. And, uh, and you know, that's why you're aiming for the gold or the silver. Uh, well, no one really aims for the silver, but <laughs> at least you get something. Um, without the reward in the end, the behavior will not really continued, uh, continue. So you wouldn't really be practicing. Um, would you like to share with us uh, some of your stories from how you developed this healthy attitude towards competition from your childhood, during your, your, your sports involvement and the schools that you've attended? So if you think about all the great sportsmen in the world, like the Serena Williams, the Federer, the Usain Bolt, and the Ronaldo, it's always been about incentive. Uh, it's also about the accolades and the adulation that they receive wherever they go. So for me personally, um, when I look at the incentive part of it, there are a lot of incentives that are uh, not tangible. Like, for example, um, when you get out there and you do sports, when you develop your career, you are actually enlarging your social circle beyond your own classroom. For example, like mastering your school syllabus, uh, sports really open you to a whole new world in terms of your vocabulary and also skills on how to train, staying fit, both of which we need in the corporate world. So today, if you look around you, many young executives are suffering from stress, hypertension, unable to manage stress deadline, and also long day of travels because they have not undergone intense paces before. I feel that the intensity of sports really helped me to be strong for my adult career days. The discipline of training helped in sharpening your focus, enables you to push and persevere. So that to me was really one of the best incentives. It was very sustainable. What, what is it that really pushed you to, to keep doing well and keep going back then as a child? I had encouragement. I had time. Uh, I learned the ropes early. I tasted success early in my life. Uh, I did well in sports. I enjoyed it and I could balance it academically. So whenever I was given a new opportunity, you know, I always uh, create for myself the three values and I look at the, and I like to share what these three values are. Uh, they are called the three E's of my life. So the first thing is this, in everything that I do, I explore. So in exploring, I will be researching for staff, choosing the more vital staff. I would also go out and find out more. This helped me to be very independent. I became a strong self-starter. I could differentiate between right and wrong quickly. And there's plenty of information out there that you really did need to overanalyze. 
The second was extending yourself. The second E. Um, how, what else could I have done for myself in this new role or project? Uh, how could I extend myself without spending a lot of money, time or delaying the assignment? So you extend your borders to explore a new higher level of learning. The third for me after explore, extend is you must experience. This is the part where you reward yourself and you enjoy the ride or the bumps. Um, that means you have to learn to do, you have to execute, and you must measure your own success and failures. So by using the three E's in my life, I have better control over success and failures. And also I was always able to manage the stress level which many of us don't like to deal with. Um, I am also very fortunate to have great parents who made everything possible for me to pursue my education, my hobbies. In my work life, I've worked with some great bosses and amazing colleagues. Uh, remember, at the school bench or at work, we add to others' experience as much as they add to ours. So if you view life as a big collaboration, and we sometimes want to do that and allow others into our lives to collaborate with us. Mm. How, how have uh, these experiences that you've had uh, helped you later on in life? I think they have helped me to link the dots in my life. Um, I think uh, most of us, yeah, we like to control. So I think I have better control in my life. It's taught me to learn to say yes and no when I'm able. And it's also learned me to walk away from opportunities when I feel I could not uh, deal with them at a particular pace. Um, ju more, ju just as we are curious and ambitious, right? Uh, we And we are always open to a world of possibilities. You must also learn to walk away from um, experience and offers in life because they could not be very beneficial in that particular moment. Uh, and the last bit is really, we must always find time for self-reflection. Uh, reflecting is a powerful process in enabling one to grow and pace yourself. So this is, has a lot to do with self-talk because self-talk is vital to managing your well-being. So you can be ambitious, but you need to pace and learn gradually. Mm. We we found some interesting outcomes when we were researching the relationship uh, uh, an attitude of people towards competition. Let me just share a few here. Uh, we are going into stereotyping for a while, but we'll get out of it soon. So uh, research over the years uh, found that competition affects people in a, in, in a vast variety of ways. Uh, and everyone, uh, um, everyone uh, uh, performs very differently in a very competitive environment. Um, so for example, in a, in a field study conducted on 9 year old children, um, it was found that when children run alone, there was no difference in performance. Uh, however, in very competitive environments, when they had to all run together as a race, boys uh, seem to be doing much better. Girls, not so much. Um, again, this is stereotyping, but, but this is, this is uh, what the study had found back then. Um, another study, they, they basically studied differences between uh, boys and girls, and they found that uh, they... There are gender differences when it comes to dealing with competition, and um, and this will also uh, affect the way that men and women look at career opportunities and career outcomes as well, career choices as well. Um, 
for example, there was a study that was done in uh, boys and girls put into very elite schools. Uh, and they found that girls, they seem to be performing much better in these kind of environments. So the reason that they found this uh, this kind of behavior is that boys went in very confident, knowing that they are very good at what they do because that's what they were told and that's what they knew going into the school. Um, but once they got there, they found out that competition is very, very high. And uh, when they were in that environment, they were very uh, reluctant to ask for help. They were very reluctant to say, I'm really struggling with this. Whereas the girls, they went in with the mindset that, oh, you know, I'm going to this school and there are so many people that are much better than me and I need to work very hard and I need to get all the help that I can. Um, so because the girls were very willing to ask for help, they managed to do very well. The boys, not so much because of their unwillingness to to just ask for help. Um, well, the, the different studies found, uh, it goes back to the hunter-gatherer era and the the... the um, the practice of boys being the alpha males, going out in groups, uh, being the ones that are supposed to bring back the food to the table. Uh, the girls, they are more, um, the, the, they had the traditional role of staying back and working in pairs. So it's a lot easier for them to uh, be less competitive because they never really had to practice that competition so much. Whereas the boys, when they had to go out and hunt, they really had to run and they really had to prove that they can do something. Um, other, other, uh, other studies have looked at other uh, differences between different people in terms of competition and also found that things like birth order, for example, uh, contributes to, to the competitive spirit. So, for example, there were a lot of studies done uh, on siblings that were both uh, um, in sports and they found that uh, second-borns, they were a lot more likely to be a lot more competitive. They were a lot more likely to be a lot riskier in the way that they play the sports and even choose more extreme sports um, than, than the first-borns. Uh, because for later-borns, the, the competitiveness had to kick in for their survival, I suppose, in the family, in the family environment. And uh, a different study even found that uh, um, only children, they were less competitive than uh, children with siblings, whether it's firstborn or secondborn. Uh, they they uh, had this study where the children had to go and collect as many stickers as possible. And they found that only children not only didn't compete to collect as many stickers as, as possible, but they even went out of their way to exchange stickers with their new friends instead of making sure that they collect as many as they could for themselves. So... Um, Again, uh, these are very big generalizations, but do you identify any of these uh, differences in the people that you've met throughout your career? Um, after listening to you, Eva, <laughs> I think um, you confirm what I said earlier. I like the part where you talk about how boarding school, uh, school kids, you know, became very successful. So that brings this um, topic up about boarding schools are very structured, so they allow you to compete and then there is some form of guaranteed success in that particular model. So my observation um, is as follows. I think in today's environment, irrespective of gender, male or female, they all like to compete because they want to win and excel and everybody wants to do well. And you can see them when they are posting about, you know, I've just scuba dive in the Maldives on Facebook, and this is the best looking cave on Instagram. So 
there's competition, but in a very different form. In the Asian culture, it has never been natural for us to ask for help. But I came from a large family and my elder siblings were always helpful and useful. So in comparison today, we have nuclear families right now. So in comparison, parents hire tutors, coaches, and they themselves try to find them to coach and mentor their children. You can do that, but the important thing is you have to allow your child to access you. You cannot delegate uh, too much of this. And you need to negotiate with your child on the kind of structure that you think fits your home environment and not make it too rigid. I am a middle child, so I can confirm what you just said. And I think as a middle child, we never really capture the attention of our parents as we are not the eldest or the youngest. So we are really left quite alone to do our own things, pursue our own hobbies. Thus, we tend to be better problem solvers, take more risks, more independent and also more creative. I'm unsure if Malcolm Gladwell ever mentioned this in any of his books, but it is definitely my observation in the many years I've worked. I think uh, those of us who can play both individual sports and team sport, we are a bit ambidextrous and we are much more adaptive and agile. Uh, learning to lose gracefully is also vital. So losing is a big lesson, a tough one, but it helps to strengthen you. Definitely. Um, so the bottom line is everyone responds to competition very differently. How, how do we encourage a healthy attitude towards it though as a parent? I think competition can begin at home. You can make it fun. Uh, whether it's a game of caroms, a game of snake and ladders, you know, train your children on skill. Show them the ropes, not just winning. Take time to play. Uh, make a plan and learning fun with them. Encourage, guide, skill them. Reflect, retrain. Help them remember. Uh, teach them proper words, proper nouns and verbs and then they will remember. Languaging is very important in learning. Get them to repeat. Don't instruct them, but be curious and ask them questions. Get them to ask you questions, and then get them to get a notebook, write and lock things down. Always ask them, what is your one takeaway? Uh, I strongly encourage parents to work on goals with their children, review them, and make time for this. You know, And it could be very simple stuff like, um, I need to learn three words a day. I must learn to speak my local dialect. I need to visit grandmom and dad this weekend. So these are very, very simple kind of goals, but you'll be very surprised that they actually uh, provide the child a platform to start thinking about what he does every day. Definitely. Um so competition is one form of extrinsic motivation and, and definitely a very powerful one. But that aside, there are other forms of motivation as well. So in the, the survey that I mentioned earlier on that we did last year, uh, we, we also asked parents uh, the question, what is it that motivates your child? And uh, when we posed this question, the majority of uh, answers that we got was success or to be successful. So um, j just to mention here, the parents that we spoke to, they have children of a variety of ages. So uh, anything from zero to um, adults uh, at the moment. So um, other things that they also mentioned that, that they seem to motivate their children are things like recognition, affirmation, um, things like materialistic motivators, so money, 
rewards, uh, food, video games, gifts, naps, depending on their age uh, as well, as well as emotional motivators. So things like love, spending time with the family. And um, as you grow older, different motivators uh, take over. Uh, when you're much younger, we see um, the, the more basic ones being the ones that prevail. So for the zero to two year old, for example, is very much about love, hugs, kisses, naps, <laughs> uh, those kind of things. And, and to me, uh, what that says is that our jobs as parents is really to help our children understand what it is that motivates them as well. Because uh, truth be told, it's not really an easy thing for people to identify <laughs> what is it that motivates them. Um, and it's quite different for different people. So um, as a parent, you cannot really uh, enforce one of these motivators to your children. You need to just help them make sense of it on their own. And if we are also aware of it, we can also see how we can use this motivator to, to get the best out of our children as well. And, and I'm pretty sure that this is how it works in, in the workplace too. Um, I've studied interstate, yeah? And one of the startling observations about motivation is I noticed that um, children or teenagers, you know, from the smaller states tend to do very well. Um, I like to call upon... Um, a book that I've read, you know, is called Focus by Daniel Goleman. And I think it has to do with first offering your child less distraction. So if you want to deal with motivation, the first thing you need to do is teach them to focus. Uh, and then you need to listen. And you got to get them to write, repeat, and then they will learn to master things. So if you want your child to do well, to stay motivated, expose him or her to one to two hobbies. Uh, and to illustrate the point, if he or she likes swimming, the next hobby offered should not be tennis or badminton, but really a chance to play a musical instrument. You would notice that both sports, reading, hobbies require demand dedicated hours. Can they sit still? Can they focus? How do they deal with a lot of issues that many parents can't deal with, which is the word called boredom? Uh, observe what your child likes to spend time on. You see, when they get very bored, they also get very demotivated. So observe what your child likes to spend time on. And sometimes the motivation has got to do with very simple stuff. It could be, yes, I agree to let you swim for an hour. Uh, yes, you can get to practice your piano after you come back from school. So you got to think laterally as to how you can apply those skills. And I think managing, helping your child to manage the boredom, staying focused is really one of the best motivators. All right. So thanks thanks once again for being here with us today. Thank you, Eva. You've been listening to Leadernomics FM the science of building leaders.